Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Summer fun is right on track. Because Thomas and all his friends are rolling into Roaring Camp Railroads. Full steam ahead. And he's going to have all kinds of activities to choose, choose, choose from. So check on down to Roaring Camp, July 26th through August 4th. You won't want to miss Thomas. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, Pelicans fans, welcome to our first free agency breakdown on day one of the NBA's summer free agency period. It has been an extremely busy day, not just for the NBA in general, but for in particular for our New Orleans Pelicans. Joining me as usual, Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, and our editor-in-chief at The Bird Rights, Mr. Ali Cosell. Guys, an exciting, exciting day with the uh, latest news coming down just minutes ago um, that the New Orleans Pelicans are trading for one Derek Favors, formerly of the Utah Jazz. Um, We have all been big, big fans of Derek Favors. So let's start with him. Um, I have to let you you, uh, lead off on this one. What is your reaction to the Pelicans making this move and bringing in uh, Derek Favors to probably be the starting center next season? I am thrilled. I could not be more thrilled. He fits from a cost perspective. He fits from how I expect the Pelicans to play, which is defense to offense. If you want to be a team that plays in transition and gets easy buckets, the way to do that is you get stops, you get rebounds, you create turnovers. Now the Pelicans have a legitimate rim protector because Derek Favors has been passed as a power forward in Utah because he plays beside Rudy Gobert, but he has legitimate NBA center size. He's six foot 10. They list him at 245. I can't remember from the NBA combine if he has a seven foot four or seven foot five wingspan. He's got a massive standing reach right around nine feet. He is legitimate NBA center size. He's been playing power forward for practically the last decade. So he's on the more agile side of big men that the Pelicans could have possibly put at center besides Zion Williamson. You can put him on any of the big men in the league. You can put him on power forwards if you'd rather have Zion play on the center so that you can always have Zion in a position where he can kind of be your roamer defensively, kind of how Golden State used with Draymond Green. 
and as you know, make his job a little bit easier where Favors is handling all of the more difficult decisions in terms of pick and roll coverage. And then on the offensive end, he's not he's not going to stretch the floor in terms of the fact he's not much of a three-point shooter at this point. He does have a serviceable mid-range jumper. I know that that has gone out of style substantially in the last couple of years, but it it's not nothing. And he's a superb finisher around the rim. And one of the big things that uh, that David Griffin was talking about when he was asking what kind of players do we want on this team? He wants vets. He wants players that are, are smart, heady players. And when you're talking about a guy like Derek Favors, he's been in the Utah system for quite some time. And while their offense has been a slow-paced system, it's also been a heavy pass, heavy movement system, lots of screens on and off the ball. He's had to do a lot of pin-down screens and things like that when they're trying to get um, Kyle Korver recently on their team, Joe Ingles, shooters like that shots because their offense wasn't, hey, we're going to run one pick and roll at the top and everybody kind of just spread out. That's not the offense Quinn Snyder runs there in Utah. I think that his skill set's going to fit very well with what Alvin Gentry wants to do on offense side. But on the defensive side, he's a monster. I mean, when you think about what the Pelicans are going to do up top now, with Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday, two legitimate all-defensive all players at the top. And then Derek Favors is a superb defensive player in his own right at the back end. And you can afford, like, J.J. Redick might not necessarily be the best individual defender, but he's a quality team defender. And then what we expect Zion is going to be because of what he's demonstrated from his athletic gifts and what he's demonstrated from his basketball IQ. The fit here is beautiful. Um, he's, despite the fact that we know, I mean, you have to remember, Derek Favors was the young guy that the Utah Jazz got in the Darren Williams trade. That's how long he's been in the league. But he's only about to turn 28 years old. He's, he's, you know, right in line with the same age of Drew Holiday. So the fit is superb. It's not a huge financial commitment because it's not a new contract right now. He's only at, um, I think it's $16.9 million. There might be some incentives there that, that bring it up because of how successful the Utah Jazz were this past season. But I don't know if those incentives get recalculated when he comes over to a team that wasn't as successful. Um, but I'm going to work off that 16.9 figure until I see something else from someone. Yeah, there. And, uh, just to interrupt you real quick, there are 900. The uh, 16 million is guaranteed, um, as well as there are 900 thousand in likely incentives and another 1.9 in unlikely incentives. So I mean, he fits. He fits cash wise. The Pelicans. I. I don't think the Pelicans can legitimately send salary or much salary back to Utah because Utah needs the cap space to make the offer that they agreed to with Bogdan Bogdanovich from Indiana because they wanted to have somebody that can slide into that stretch four spot, spot um, you know, in their finishing five alignment. Not necessarily. I read a report today that he might not necessarily start. They might still start. Angles, or they might bring angles off the bench, um, and one of them starts at small forward. But what 
So I wouldn't expect the Pelicans are going to send out any salary. I know everybody's going to say, well, what about sending out Etwan more? Utah doesn't want that salary on their books. They can't, they can't do the things that they're planning on doing with the space. So I'm just, I'm very glad to hear that favors is on the team. He fits with what Griffin has said. And I think, and we talked about this a little bit the last time we podcasted. I think if you put a team around Alvin Gentry where you say we're going to be superb on defense, can you get us competent on offense and you have a bunch of heady players that can make that happen? I feel like this team is going to exceed our expectations right now compared to what most people thought year one post Anthony Davis was going to be. So I cannot be more excited at this point. Yeah, I mean, my perspective on favors before we go on to Kevin and um, Ollie is just exactly the same. I think, you know, defensively, he has been one of the elite post defenders in the league over the last five years. Um, three times he's finished in the top six. He was in the top five this year in defensive real plus minus. It, over the last four years, it's basically identical numbers as far as um, defensive real plus minus with him and Al Horford. Like you said, he's only 27, about to turn 28. 16,000 minutes at this stage of his career is not a heck of a lot. And then at this money, and again, it's not a long-term commitment. The Pelicans can see what they like about him. But everything you said, I mean, his, his mid-range jump shot, people talk about it. He shot better from the mid-range the last two seasons than Anthony Davis did. So his one area of weakness as a shooter is, like you said, the three-pointer. But we're talking about guys like Robin Lopez in this league. We're talking about guys like Dwayne Dedman, who we talked about before, even Anthony Davis. These are guys who did not enter the league with three-point shots, but they developed them as they went along. And I think Favor structurally can develop a corner three or an above-the-line the three. So I think there's still room for him to grow even at 10 years in the league. Um, Kevin, what's your reaction to, to the Pelicans bringing in Favors? I know we, would, we loved Ed Davis, but it doesn't look like they're going to be adding – another front court person, but to get favors is certainly a coup for David Griffin. Yeah. I mean, looks like Ed Davis is going to Utah uh, to replace favors um, for much cheaper, but um, uh, it feels like this was a, a move that was almost crowdsourced in a way with as much as uh, you guys, especially have been talking about him and other people as well about being him as a possible, having him as a possible target for this team. Um, and it's, I mean, it's been a great day. It was a great day to ca- way to cap it off. Um, I mean, I think Fish and you covered this perfectly. Um, he gives you a legit veteran center. Uh, you know, he he does everything you want him to do outside of shoot, shooting a three, which, you know, hopefully maybe he can grow into that still. Um, but I, we're not talking about the other signings yet, but it seems like, you know, they had a very good plan and now – with the other two signings and favors, you have like a, you have some players that are on Drew Holiday's timeline while you also have time to develop these other guys who are younger. Um, so, you know, it's what we talked about all along and what Griffin's talked about all along staggering success, you know, maintaining success, having two different timelines working at once. Uh, so you're always ready to compete and you always have these assets to keep adding more and more pieces as, as you need as, as your roster develops. Um, and I think, this is, uh, you know, a, a very key move to make this team very relevant this year, especially we're seeing a mass migration to the uh, East. Um, and if Kawhi stays with Toronto, then, you know, there's a very clean path for the Pelicans to be a playoff team again this year with uh, the vets that they just added to this young core and already drew holiday. 
Ali, one of the things that David Griffin has talked about a lot, obviously, has been cultural fit for a guy like Favors, who comes from one of those model organizations in Utah, very steady, um, very business-like approach. Um, you know, he like again, he's 28, but he's a 10-year veteran in this league. How much leadership, how much cultural fit do you think he brings to the locker room besides just the uh, basketball skills that we already know he has? Oh, I think he just adds to it. I know that he came from inner city Atlanta, you know, growing up and he, you know, there were stories about him and how he defied the odds, you know, just to make it as a man, let alone in the NBA and the Utah jazz, you know, you know, what kind of kind of area that they live in They're They're very predominantly in one direction, but they all call, call, call him as a grounded guy. All we all saw him as one of their own. And all I've seen on Twitter so far is all this outpouring of support. We'll miss you. Thank you. You know, stuff like that. So he looks like just the perfect hit, um, fit for, you know, Griffin's culture that he's trying to build here, you know, with the, these ideal type of human beings and what they are both on and off the court. So couldn't be any better. I'm just in awe, guys. I mean, I know I've only slept three hours, so I hope I'm coherent enough. But Griffin just keeps hitting these home runs. I mean, if you look at just DRPM, ESPN's plus minus, Favors is ranked, you know, higher than Drew Hawley. He's actually 18th overall in DRPM and fifth, you know, amongst power forwards. He should be listed as a center, too, but he's on power forwards where he's fifth. So, this guy's an incredible defender at the rim. He's, you know, a bulky body that he's going to give you that presence that, you know, the Pelicans need. And you know what? Zion's going to be able to learn from him because what his favors go about, like 265 pounds. So he's kind of close to, you know, Zion's weight class where he's not, you know, overly big, like say Rudy Gobert with that length and height. So he, he's a little bit smaller. Granted, he's still got a good reach on him, but I, I like it. I like it. Zion's going to be able to learn from him, you know, both on and off the court. But I'm just in awe. I mean, Fish nailed it on uh, breaking down his game. And we've all been high on him like weeks before he was ever even mentioned, right? I mean, I love it. The Pelicans had two things they needed to do, and we're going to get to it, I know. But they needed to lock down some kind of, you know, dependable center, somebody that, you know, can provide leadership, but also be um, a good player. You know, those days of getting a Perkins in where hopefully he can mold the young players. Those days, you know, it didn't work. So you want to see somebody that's still kind of in their prime and favors definitely is. And of course, what we're going to get to is the shooting and Griffin nailed both. So like I said, I'm just in awe. I mean, I don't think any of us dreamed this possible. So hats off to the Pelicans front office. Yeah. Cause I think we were all in a mode of, Oh, the day's winding down. Um, and then the favors news broke and it just kind of, reset the whole day because we thought uh, I think um, as we go into this and transition to the rest of the day, I think we thought that the Pelicans had a, a very solid day and a, an a rating day before you get to Derek favor. So let's go back and visit um, the first major free agent signing of the David Griffin era. Um, and that would be JJ Redick coming to new Orleans for a two year deal, 26 and a half million dollars. Um, it seems perfect for both sides. Uh, you know, it's Redick is 35 years old, but he's also coming off career highs in points scored, 18.1 uh, points per game. Um, he was second high, uh, second highest career um, in uh, second highest season in minutes played. So he was very durable this season. Um, and then his, uh, you know, he's a career 41 three point shooter, 40 percent, a 41 percent three point shooter. So, um, yeah, we talked about the four primary needs going for the Pelicans going this off, off season. We're a starting center. 
depth at the uh, post um, at the four uh, as a stretch, um, maybe somebody on the wing as a small forward and a backup point guard and some more shooting. Well, the Pelicans filled three of those holes today. Where does Reddick fit in there, uh, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I still think Reddick will come off the bench. I, I think you're going to start bigger with Ingram at the at the three. I don't think anybody really ever thought Ingram would not start unless they like signed a you know a knockout uh, small forward like a Middleton Kawhi Leonard <laughs> or, or Kawhi Leonard or some you know a much bigger name uh, that would push him to the bench. Uh, I, I still think he he starts. I mean. Obviously, he's in a contract year, so you want to see what he would flourish like in a starting role because he would be more of a long-term option than what Reddick's going to be at 35 and on a two-year deal, obviously. Um, so I think he's that bench sniper that comes in. I think he's you know 20, 25 minutes a game, which will keep him fresh because he doesn't have to pay, play major minute loads, but will still get a lot of action. Um, I, I think he's a great addition. I think... The, the thing about his addition means you're going to see Etwan Moore probably get pushed out, um, you know, maybe flipping him for a backup point guard at some point because that's really the only hole they haven't addressed uh, or, you know, possibly a longer guy that can play some small forward, although you do have Kenrick Williams here that can fill that hole for you and then go smaller with, you know, three-guard lineups. So you can make that work, but I could see that being a possible move they make, but I still think – backup point guard is where they need to go next. And I think this allows you to do that because you got in that, sh- that outside shooting that you needed. That also brings in a lot of veteran leadership and a lot of uh, good intangibles in the locker room. Ali, what kind of impact does the signing of Reddick have on guys like Josh Hart? Um, and of course, uh, I'm sorry, our, our new uh, Nikhil Alexander Williams, um, you know, what, what is that impact there besides Reddick bringing in his experience? How does it affect their playing time and their roles within the Pelicans' offense as they try to develop those guys? Frank Jackson as well. Yeah, it's a good problem to have if you're Alvin Gentry. You know, he's all too often been having to thrust players that aren't ready when you're trying to be competitive and feel a competitive team. Uh, we saw that with Frank last year, right? He had to start playing, you know, as the season began. We quickly saw that he wasn't ready. He didn't really find his footing until – the last couple months of the season. Uh, so you kind of maybe had the sense, but then again, you didn't because, you know, David Griffin's been out here hitting home runs. So I never truly thought that Nikhil Alexander-Walker would be stepping in any kind of major minutes. And this just reduces that likelihood completely down to zero in my book, bearing, of course, a whole bunch of injuries. But to me, yeah, he's going to be a great vet uh, for a lot of these guys. Anybody that wants to learn how to become a good spot-up shooter, where to look for seams, uh, how to read, you know, defenses and stuff. That's going to be incredible for any of those shooters on the Pelicans team. But I'm I'm just in awe that he was able in one swift stroke, I'm talking about David Griffin in the front office, in adding a single player that's going to change the entire gravity, I feel like, for the entire team. I was really, really worried about, you know, despite the athleticism, despite, you know, the highlights we were going to see, about – are the offense bogging down next year when you looked at the starting lineup? You know, Ball, Holiday, Ingram, and Zion, and really whoever else they probably would have gotten at center, right? But man, Reddick, if he can go out there and, you know, play 30 minutes, we saw what he did for Philly. Philly was lost without Reddick when he was on the court. You know, most times they couldn't get their offense going, but when he was out there, he single handedly created a lot more opportunities for everybody else. So 
I expect the same here. So not only is he going to be a great mentor for the young players, but I think he's going to be a difference maker to where I'm now seeing projections to where with this ad of Favors and Reddick today, that the Pelicans are in the neighborhood of possibly winning around 45 games. And you know, that can go either way with a young team. And of course, injuries will play a part, but that's just incredible, right? You, you go from such a disappointing disappointment to five months ago to now having a legitimate chance of being right there kind of in the, in the, the middle of the Western Conference playoff race. That's just astounding. So Griffin's promise that he was going to make New Orleans Pelicans basketball competitive from day one has it couldn't ring any truer. So J.J. Redick is just another one of those example guys. I, I just never fathomed that the Pelicans would be able to land somebody like him and that he would want to come here on that deal because that's a really good deal. Fish, when you look at the combination of Favors and Redick, they both bring playoff experience. Um, they've been in some very tough series. They've been difference makers in playoff series. And again, Griffin just talked about that culture, developing a winning culture, teaching guys how to win. To have Redick, who's played in the playoffs every season of his career up to this point, on the roster now, how big a factor is that to have these two veterans in to, to go along with Drew Holiday and to really uh, raise these guys up in, in a sense? It's, it's a huge factor. I mean, one of the reasons that I never brought up Redick as a possible target for the Pelicans was I was always trying to be realistic. And I always felt like if Redick was going to leave Philadelphia, he was going to go someplace where he was legitimately ring chasing at this point in his career, which is why I never thought he was going to come here because he's, he's approaching that point in his career where it's time to, you know, either get a ring or, you know, probably in a couple of years because he looked great last year. Um, he, he has to know, you know, that, that the light is much closer at the end of the tunnel when it comes to his NBA career. So I was, I was shocked that he was going to come. Like, I, I, I can't believe it. But when we're talking about what does this bring for the Pelicans, I mean, they have three guys now on their team even with all these rookies and all the, you know, the future assets, and they haven't compromised any of that. They don't have any money beyond, you know, Zion's second year on the books. I mean, J.J. Reddick's contract, not only is it a great contract and it's a bargain, it's only for two years. So on the third year, if it's time to start swinging for the fences, you can. But the Pelican should be good for these first two years. And when it comes down to crunch time, I would expect that you know that Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, and Derek Favors are going to be on the floor. And then Zion Williams is your guy. So he's, he's going to be on the floor. So really it's what do you want to do with that fifth spot? And if you have – I mean, Favors has been on superb defensive teams for almost his entire career. He knows what good defense looks like, and he's been in a position, you know, to to work that both as, you know, playing power forward beside Rudy Gobert, and also when Rudy Gobert would go off the floor, they'd slide favors in at the five as, as the reserve um, center, and he would have to pretty much coordinate the defense with a largely reserve unit out there and keep it all together so when you're just looking at 
what they're going to bring and JJ Redick might not necessarily be the greatest individual defender, but he's a great team defender. He's a high effort guy. And the stuff that JJ Redick does off the ball in terms of movement, constant movement, like what we see from Clay Thompson now was passed down to him, you know, theoretically by what JJ Redick was doing and his, the end of his Orlando days and then especially what we were seeing in Philadelphia and then you can actually trace that back further to Rip Hamilton in terms of just always moving off the ball and one of the things that I feel like Favors does and what J.J. Redick is going to help teach is how do you set a good pin down screen for a shooter for Zion Williamson how do you do it well one of the things you need is you need a shooter that's going to use that screen you're going to, you need a shooter who knows how to use that screen properly. Another thing you're looking at is um, a big thing that Philadelphia did last year is they did a lot of dribble handoff stuff with um, Reddick coming off of dribble handoffs with either Embiid or Simmons. You can run a lot of those same actions with Zion Williamson, where he's doing handoffs, you know, around the arc or things like that. Or you're going to have situations where you have Zion running pin down screens or their favors running pin down screens to have Reddit come off of those. And then you have those, the big and small defending have to communicate that properly. And if they don't, either you're getting the uh, Reddit open three or one of those big men are at the rim by them, by themselves. And you're just going to have so much of like, I, I can't even imagine what the, the film room sessions are going to be like now when you have three legitimate you know, experienced, seasoned NBA vets in there talking through it. And they're not, none of them are in a situation where they're kind of over the hill. It's not like, oh, we brought in Kendrick Perkins and he can't play any minutes, but he's been there. So he knows what he's talking about. No one listens to him. No one cares. It's like, that's nice, Grandpa. Slide on back. Derek Favors and J.J. Redick are going to be on the court in crunch time. They're not just going to talk about it. They're going to be on the court talking it talking it through as it happens that's a that's such a huge difference to have a peer talking it through to you rather than a vet that is more glorified assistant coach you have plenty of coaches out there telling you what you're supposed to do now you have the coaching message coming from not necessarily a peer because you're talking about somebody that has you know 10 years experience on you in the league but somebody who's actually going to be on the court in the grind with you. So it's, man, I'm so excited. I can't even, I can't even form good sentences right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> what's, what, what's really interesting is like, again, you bring in a guy like Favors who was a phenom himself, came out of check after one year, 19 years old, was supposed to be um, coming out. You know, he was expected to be more when he came out of college, but has developed into a very solid pro. So he knows those pressures that these young guys are under and he can relate to it from that end. JJ Reddick, obviously the Duke connection becomes the fifth Duke, former Duke blue devil now to join the Pelicans. Um, and you have that part of it, of course, where that's where, you know, those guys will respect each other. But then again, on top of that, you just have a guy who, who has been through um, those, the, the early part of his career where he struggled to find his role and then once he did, he began to excel at it. So for guys like Ingram, 
like Lonzo Ball, who came in with these high expectations and maybe haven't lived up to them. They have two guys who have carved out, you know, decade-long careers by figuring out exactly who they are. And hopefully guys with, who have higher levels of talent, if we're looking at, if, if we're expecting that the ceilings for Ingram and Ball are really high, that kind of work ethic, we hope it roll, rubs off. Now to go back to Ali on the financial piece, the fact that this deal is two years, the fact that Favors will come in in a one-year situation, basically, how, it seems like David Griffin went into this and his goal was, I have my prices, I have what I'm going to spend, and I'm not getting caught up in the speculation that I'm going to throw $25 million at Al Horford, that we're going to throw this money over here. It seems like David Griffin is very, was very targeted about what he wanted and who he wanted, and he didn't waste time in getting those players. Yeah, and we got that sense earlier uh, in some various tweets. I can't remember if it was from Mark Stein or from a collective you know, group uh, where it hinted that, you know, Pelicans are interested in this guy and that guy. But particularly with Horford, there was that one tweet that stood out to me saying that the Pelicans felt like that they would probably get outbid, you know, something along those lines. So, yeah, it's great that, you know, there's people drawing lines in the sand because you do operate within a finite um, amount of space, which is, of course, a salary cap. So, when you go above and beyond, you're obviously going to take away from a certain other area. And suddenly, you know, a, a bargain or a good deal can turn into a bad one. So it's great that it seems like they did all their math. They did all their homework. So they knew exactly, you know, who to pursue and at what prices and number of years. And I think that is key. There was, I feel, I just felt like there was too many people out there and we all agree, right? We all like Al Horford. We all would have liked to have seen him here in New Orleans because of what he would have brought. But I, and I know a lot of you other guys as well, had a problem with a lot of others acquiescing or not seeing too, having too much issue with, say, a three or, or even a four-year deal, uh, close to, like, max type of money. That just really bothered me. And, you know, I remember trying to make that argument years ago when Dale was re-signing Omar Ashik, who, of course, that's not really that comparable, but it kind of goes to show you just how, you know, Dale bid against himself. He uh, gave him a little bit more money than he should have on top of the years. And you know what? That really came back to bite the Pelicans. So we don't see any of that with Griffin. And so I feel like, yeah, they had probably this big board and they knew, you know, they had it itemized as to where, who they wanted, you know, top to bottom, their favorites on down. But next to all those names, you felt like there was that line, how much money, how many years and so on. And it probably fit. So it was probably this, you know, not logarithm, but they had this equation out there. So if we land this great shooter, well, we still got to shore up the center. If we spend this much on a shooter, then this is how much we're going to have left to chase a center. So I feel like, I mean, you know, what we know, what we're privy to, which isn't much at this moment, but it sure seems like they hit. I mean, they nailed it because Favors brings exactly what they need and Reddick does the same. And they were able to do that within the cap space. And then if you look at the rest of the roster, I mean, it, it's still loaded, right? They haven't had to give up any future assets either. So it's just amazing to watch what in two months' time, let alone just in these last couple of weeks, what a truly competent top-of-the-line front office can do. Uh, so it's no wonder that we're kind of all shocking and awe, but it's great that we can kind of follow along and we kind of you know pick some of these players because you got to say – We've watched basketball long enough, so we, we have, a, I think, a decent collective eye for talent. So when I, suddenly the front office is chasing all these guys that 
we're fans of. I mean, it couldn't make the situation any better for us just from a fan perspective, right? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, you know, obviously you see the reactions on Twitter um, and all social media. It's just you can see that fans have bought in and that Griffin has kind of like the world in his hands right now. But, Kevin, when you look at this too, NBA players, executives, writers, everybody is taking notice of what the Pelicans are doing. And part of the symbolic part of this is that Favors and that Reddick both wanted to come to New Orleans as part of this and be a part of this, even knowing that there's going to take some time. What does it say for the Pelicans to make this dramatic shift in public perception and perception amongst the people who it really matters, the players and the coaches and the, the uh, agents around the league in this short amount of time. Yeah. What does this mean? It's pretty wild. I mean, you have to think like, and rightfully so uh, in the way that things actually were happening before yet the Pelicans were sort of operating in like a small, with a small market inferiority complex, knowing that they had to overpay to get what they wanted. And even it wasn't probably truly what they wanted, but they, what they could get. Whereas Griffin has come in and he's not paid any attention to what people on the outside have said about what we deserve or what we should be able to get as a small market team. And he just approached it the right way. You know, he went out, he's not going to out, like Ali said, he's not going to overpay for positions or players that we don't necessarily need. Um, When the right deal's there, he's going to take it and he's going to get guys that are going to contribute to come here for a reasonable rate or even less than you think they could get on the market. And that's just like a stunning turnaround from what we've, been going through since this team has relocated here from Charlotte. Um, So it's like a very big shift and finally it's being recognized. I I shouldn't even say finally it's being recognized because the shift didn't exist before, but it's being recognized and people are talking about it and people are excited about what's happening down here in New Orleans. Um, You know, I feel like teams like us um, with the additions that uh, the Bulls made today and towards the end of the offseason last year. They, like, there's some teams like that that are teams that people have been, you know, shitting on for years uh, because they were badly run uh, or not run to the best of their ability um, are now going to be sort of like the darling teams like the Nets were last year. Um, so I think there's a lot of excitement around here, and I think there's good reason for it. And we've definitely seen a change in the way the team operates and how people view uh, the franchise itself, and especially ownership. I mean, think about the dramatic shift in, in how uh, Gail Benson is thought of. You know, we went from her being called the widow and all kind of slander thrown her way to being one of the best, you know, governors of of, of a team in the NBA. So it's uh, it's a really impressive turnaround, and it's well-deserved because they've really hit home runs nonstop since co- coming in. Well, you know, it, it already seems just like, yeah, the Pelicans now are one of those hot names looking into a season that is still months away. Uh, it's just very dramatic, along with all the other dominoes that fell today. And that's for another day to really cover that, that we don't have enough time to get into all the major moves um, that went on rest of the less rest of the league. Uh, but we go back to the, th- the third move, which is probably the least heralded of the day, but could also be one of the more important moves of the day as well for the Pelicans, is that they sign Nicola Melli um, out of the Euro League. 
He was a guy who shot, uh, scored 7.3 points and four, uh, 4.1 boards for Fenerbahce Beko Istanbul last year. Uh, he was very solid in the postseason. Uh, they went to the EuroLeague Finals two years in a row with him on the roster, and he did score 28 points in the championship game of the, Euro, the 2018 EuroLeague Final, which was the most that any player had, had since 1985. He's 6'9", stretch four, not a really big guy, not an extremely <coughs> athletic player, according to reports, but a very smart player, um, good at passing the ball out of the high post uh, and the low post, has some post moves to work with, but primarily is known as a shooter from the perimeter. Um, let's start with, uh, uh, let's start with Griff. Griff, what do you think about adding Melly? Do you think that he can come in and, and be a contributor from the start? He, again, a two-year deal for him, $8 million per uh, guaranteed. Uh, you know, it, another reasonable contract for a position of need. Uh, what do you think about the fit here for Melly, a guy who's been on the NBA radar for a while? I'm going to assume that by Griff, you just got your David's cross because there's so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got so, so many Davids, um, man. It's, you know, it's a lot um, of Davids being you. So um, how I'm looking at the Pelicans depth chart at this point is that Melly is going to be battling with Wood and Okafor for minutes off the bench as big men. And he definitely gives you more of a shooting. Um, I mean, I've, I've watched like a five-minute YouTube video of him. He's, I mean, you just said he, he averaged like seven points a game. So, and yeah, he's shot well behind the arc, but we all know the international arc is a foot inside the, the NBA arc. So, I mean, it sounds like it's a buy low kind of move where he might pan out, but it's only for two years. He's already older. So it's another, if it works out, it's great. And if it doesn't, he's easily movable within the, I, from what I read today, both years are fully guaranteed. Um, it's probably going to be for something in or around the room exception, which means he's not counting against the cap space the Pelicans are going to use to accept their favors in. Although, honestly, when I'm looking at the Pelicans at this point, bringing in Derek Favors, assuming a player does not go out, I have the Pelicans at 15 bodies under contract. And I'm already assuming that Bertans is going to be waived. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's with Wood, Okafor, Jackson, and Kynrick Williams still, still on those unguaranteed deals. Obviously, they just opted into Okafor, and Okafor is the purest center outside of – I mean, Favors has played power forward, but he's the best center by far of any of the bodies they have. So, Melly gives them more depth, and he gives them a change of pace because, I mean, his career up to this point has been that of a shooter. So, I mean, could they have done better than Melly? I don't know. I mean – he's some guy from Europe that we've hardly like watched any tape on. He might be great because all you're going to ask, I mean, his role is going to be so much smaller than what he did in Europe that maybe it's something that he excels in or he's not going to get to touch the ball enough. And he's really not going to be happy with the situation, but it was a big paycheck. So he needed to go get it. I mean, I can't, I can't really have a big opinion on this guy. Right. I'm sorry. 
It's it's hard because I mean, yeah, we he's not really a known quantity for us, but we I do mean, know that Trajan Langdon has been following this guy um, for for a, a couple of years while he was with the Nets, and he was rumored to to be headed to the NBA about three years ago, but decided to stay in Europe for a little bit longer. Kevin, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I was just gonna say kind of what you said is that we know that Trajan Langdon has been watching him for years and scouting him for years, and you know if he can provide what Karuk's provided for the Nets last year, that's that would be incredible. You know, like Karuk's was a solid player for the Nets in a, in a sort of small role uh, throughout the year. And I think this guy is already, you know, is going to be a better shooter than Karuk's was. Um, but he, you know, if, if that's the kind of player you're getting, then that's great. And I think Trajan has a good history of getting guys from Europe. We know he's a big-time European scout, so – you just kind of got to trust it and it's not really a major investment. So if it works out, then great. If it doesn't, it doesn't really eat up much of your books and not for very long either. And, you know, he could be paired with, you know, say you want a guy that makes $12 million, you pair Etwan and him to get, well, Etwan will be gone probably by this point, but you could pair somebody with him to create some more salary to get a guy in, in that range later on. Ali, you look at this now, you have six bigs, essentially, um, with Zion, Christian Wood, Jaleel Okafor, um, Melly, and uh, Jackson Hayes, and who am I missing? And Derek Favors. Each one of them is a very different player. Does that utility in the front court, I mean, how much does that align with what Alvin wants to do offensively and defensively to have these kind of guys who you can plug and play in different situations? Oh, I think that's everything. I think that almost makes me think of what Coach Pop does, right, in San Antonio, where when he wants offense from a big, he brings in a guy like Bertans. So maybe the hope is that Melly can fill in a role like that. At least that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, when you've read about how much this or how consistent this guy's been as a shooter from deep in the Euro League, and then the fact that, like you guys have just mentioned, Trajan Langdon with the Nets was interested in him. And I heard and read somewhere that the Atlanta Hawks were also interested in him last summer as well. So he's been on uh, NBA radars, despite the fact that he's now up there in age, right? He's no, he's no prospect anymore, but yet NBA teams still see value in him because of his skill set. So I'm excited by it. And you're right, David, he's just going to add just another dimension. So let's say we're playing somebody where either we need to get back in the game with some shooting or the fact that there's somebody out there that Melly can guard. We can maybe take advantage of his shot because of whoever's on him. Uh, th- there's so many probably combinations right now for Alvin. So, yeah, I mean, I'm curious now if we can expect maybe for all of these guys to be there next year, right? Now I'm beginning to wonder if we're going to be seeing some people playing for their jobs. And I'm particularly looking at Christian Wood and Kenrich Williams. I mean, Frank Jackson, I think, what was his guarantee date is today, correct, uh, for, for next season. And we've also heard that the Pelicans want to proceed with him anyway. So he, he was never kind of in consideration of maybe losing his job somehow. But I think now this puts squarely the honest, you know, on Kenrich and Christian Wood to perform, even though we saw, you know, some flashes from them next or last year. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> – we, we need to sit down and really look at this roster because, you know, it's all coming together just suddenly before our eyes. So we don't even know exactly what we have, especially with a guy like Melly or 
or you know how he could maybe fit with next say next to a favors if you want to let Zion take a breather or if Wood you know shows he can take a next step or Okafor even right when he had that great stretch of like three weeks or so so yeah that's what the Pelicans have always lacked right having talent 15 men deep and it sounds like and it looks like on paper that's not an issue anymore it's just it's it's just a day that I don't think anybody one of us could have expected it to play out this way. Um, I, I was completely just surprised, um, but also in a pleasant way. And I think that's, that's also where we all were at. My expectation, I think you guys would agree, was that Griffin was not going to break the bank for anybody. He wasn't here to win the, the press uh, clippings of the day. He wasn't trying to win the back page. But in a way... He did anyway by making these really smart moves. And it's just that it's an unusual thing for, I think, Pelicans fans to be in because I think that's the number one reaction is like people are surprised at just how confidently and competently the Pelicans have opened up free agency. Does anybody want to comment on that? I would just say I also think that adding these two bigs today allowed you to not have to play Jackson Hayes if he's not ready. You know what I mean? Like you can take your time and develop them and really work with them, send them to the to the uh, G League and coach them up, turn them into what you want them to be and not have to rely on that guy now because you have these other bodies and you still have John, you still have uh, Wood possibly and, and Williams as well. Um, so it, it takes a lot of burden off of him, I think, and that's going to really aid in his development. He doesn't have to overthink. He doesn't have to – you know, he can take his time. He doesn't have all that pressure on him. And I think that's a very good thing, especially considering how, you know, we all feel like he's he wasn't really ready to contribute right now on this roster. And if you're trying to win, it puts a lot of pressure on a young kid to try to develop that fast. It also looks like there's also in the front court, there's a pretty much a match for everybody except Zion. You know, in practice, you can throw favors against Jamil Okafor on the low block. And they can grind against each other and, and, you know, try to bang in the post. And then you get at the, as far as shooters and Wood and Jackson have similar physical profiles as guys who are athletes who can run up and down the floor. And then Wood can also defend on the perimeter and shoot a little bit from the outside. And then just you have Zion over there, the freak, who can just do whatever he ends up, you know, doing. But it's just I, I think that, that they didn't have those kind of matchups in practice last year of guys who had various skill sets. I just think, you know, Alvin's done a great job. And, and I think David Griffith said this one in one of our first uh, conference calls with him, that he was taking a Swiss Army knife approach to not only the front office, but to player personnel. And it just seems like he's, he's followed that to a T. Guys who can do more than one thing and can contribute in more than one way. And it doesn't necessarily all have to be on the court. So, I mean, I think it's, it's just – it's been consi- so consistent today – um, and I, I, you just you look forward to what the next couple of weeks and months bring as we get closer to the season. All right, let's go into our questions. We're going to do that. We'll take some questions from our listeners and readers, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess we could go, the first question we could go to is from um, at Couch Mamba. What is the starting five going to be? We'll start with uh, Fish since you already were kind of digging into the roster. See, if you were picking a five, starting five today, who's your starting five? If I'm starting today, I know I'm starting Lonzo Ball because I feel like his future is critical in terms of the return of the Pelicans. 
of the Laker um, trade. And I feel like, of, I mean, we've discussed this in depth. I feel like he has the highest ceiling of the three assets, player assets that the Pelicans received in this trade. And I know I'm starting Drew Holiday, Zion Williams, and Derek Favors. So my question is, what am I going to do on the wing? And the thing is, is that with Lonzo Ball, six foot six, can really defend and be bigger than his position, even though he's at point guard. And with Drew Holiday, I mean, he's defended small forward quite a bit. You can get creative with that. Do you want to start Brandon Ingram and be huge? I mean, that lineup's huge because Derek Favors isn't just like any center. He's a big man at center. And then, I mean, Zion Williams is built like a dump truck. And then you have Brandon Ingram long and lanky on the on the wing. So you can go that or you can say we don't have enough shooting. So tonight with this matchup, because how many how many lineups are there really where the Pelicans are looking at the small forward position at this point in the league and saying we have to have somebody on the floor to stop that guy? And it can't be Drew because he has to guard somebody else. Oh, wait, you have Lonzo. So you can start JJ or you can start Brandon Ingram. They're on the wing. Those are kind of the six starters that I see that the Pelicans have at this point. Um, and I feel like, um, as I mean, around those that core four, um, it can be interchangeable. Maybe Lonzo, you know, hasn't been playing very well, or you'd rather bring Lonzo off the bench for this lineup. You can slide Holiday up to the one and start JJ at the two. I mean, there are options around those six but i feel like the most common denominator is going to be you know you're going to have holiday zion zion and Derek favors and then just pick two out of three of jj brandon ingram and lonzo ball depending on the matchup how guys are playing what you think the team needs tonight all right well, let's move on um to ollie uh this question, I think, is easy, pretty easy to answer, and I'll give you a second one after this one. Um, how soon could we extend Drew? That comes from McCoy1030, R. McCoy1030. And then I'm going to give you this one as well um, from Rich Lake. Who left on the board, Who of, I guess, available free agents, would be the best fit for the Pelicans? So you got two questions there. Okay, so when can you extend Drew Holiday? Was that the first one? Yes. David? Okay, yeah, because you broke up on me there. I'm sorry. Well, I don't think that – yeah, no, that's okay. I don't think that's at all going to be a consideration uh, when you uh, look at what kind of Dave, David Griffin's moving towards. And the fact that, you know, Drew Holly's still definitely under contract for two years and then he's got an option in the, in the third year. So we've still got a long ways away to go um, before anybody's going to be considering on extending. And that even includes Drew Holly, right? So – I don't think that even needs to really be considered at this point because, you know, you want to win now and you want to win in, in the long term, especially around Zion. So I think that's just a premature question that they're not going to cross that bridge until they need to. Um, obviously, they, they, they'll be able to extend him um, when he gets closer. What is that? I guess after next year, Fish is better to answer that question than I. But what was the, the second part of the uh, question too, David? Who, who left on the board do you think would be the best fit for the Pelicans? Um, is there a position of need that you think they should target? Is there a particular player that you think they should target? Um, or do you think, hey, yeah. like I said, with 15 guys on the roster that David Griffin is going to play it cool the rest of the way? 
Well, like I was alluding to, I think that there's some players that are going to be playing for their jobs this summer, and that includes Christian Wood and Kenrich Williams. And I think there is still a little bit of a hole, and I know I think you would agree with me, David, is the fact that there's no legitimate backup point guard, even though Drew Hawley has been a point guard for a lot of his time here in the NBA, most of it actually. And there's other competent ball handlers, but still we saw kind of what happened when Elford went down and the offense was left up to uh, Drew Holiday. Nobody liked it. Alvin didn't like him running the point and having all those responsibilities. Drew wanted to play off the ball. So that's the only thing you worry about because Lonzo Ball is injury prone and he's got to prove it first that he can stay on the court. So I think if anywhere that they would want to and should seek to add somebody, it would be. Uh, a backup point and you want to look at guys that are vets that don't mind sitting on a bench so you don't want necessarily a young guy like maybe say Tyus Jones of up there in Minnesota um, because he's going to be eager to find minutes um, so I would look at maybe I've heard Shane Larkin wants to get in the back in the league he was uh, with the Boston Celtics and I think they still have the rights but they may be letting him go but then again, I think he may be too expensive. So I'm looking at guys like Jeremy Lin, and we've talked about him before. I know I've mentioned him before. So somebody like that along those lines, you know, somebody that's, you know, over 30, has that experience, but can still run this system and can give you those spot minutes when you need it. All right, Kevin, this one is for you. We already have someone similar to JJ in Etuan. Why'd we sign JJ? This comes from Blitz Hydronoid 9. I mean, because he's better, and he's a better defender. He's a better shooter. He has a. I mean, I love Etwan. It's not. I'm trying not trying to knock him. Etwan is a very serviceable player in the NBA, but he's also a holdover from the last regime, and he's on an expiring contract. And he's a player that a team might want that you can then turn into either a future asset or an asset right now, like a backup point guard that we were just talking about that we need. He comes in to effectively replace Etwan Moore with a better version. He's, he's a lot better off the ball, like moving off the ball. Etwan never really moved off the ball well enough. He never cut, you know. So I was hoping maybe with the, everything going on in, in, in Brooklyn that possibly Joe Harris could become available because I thought Joe Harris would be a great upgrade over Etwan because – He's not only taller and a better shooter, but he's, you know, a better cutter. And I feel the same way about JJ. And I also feel like both of those guys, JJ and um, Joe Harris, are guys that are more comfortable when their roles get flip-flopped. Whereas Etwan Moore, he sometimes struggles when he's changed from a starter to a bench role. He just disappears um, and he doesn't feel comfortable. Whereas those two guys, it didn't matter what the Nets were doing they feel, or, or what Philly was doing. You know, they had injuries to deal with. They had they changed lineups for matchups. And those guys flourished and were the same player, basically, no matter what the team asked of them. And so that level of consistency, when the role wasn't consistent, is also a, a great added bonus. And as like you, you guys said before, he's never missed the playoffs in his career. So he has a lot of playoff experience. Should this team make the playoffs, which, you know, there's a very strong argument that they that they will. Um, to bring that into the locker room and, and like I said, all those other intangibles, plus he's just, you know, a great knockdown shooter. He's a big name that brings more attention here. He's got a podcast on the ringer. I mean, all those things uh, off the court are also bonuses to this acquisition. So this kind of leads back to you, um, Fish, on uh, this next question because we 
Etwan Moore certainly is entwined in all of this now. So a lot of people are asking, how does his domino fall? Do you think that he's um, moved before the season? Do you think he's a guy who starts the season with the Pelicans and they look to move him at the trade deadline? Or do they just let him ride this thing out as insurance? Just cut out on me, man. I'm sorry, David. You cut out on me. Did you finish your question? I think I know where it was going. Yeah, he's yeah, gone. Talk to David, huh? <laughs> he's coming back in now. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, somebody whistled the Jeopardy theme song. All right, Ollie, we'll let you answer that one then while we wait for Fish to come back. What do you no, see? No, no, I didn't hear you either. Yeah, oh, okay. Brad, we lost. We lost you. <laughs> you lost me. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yes. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Now yeah. we can. Yeah. So ask your question again to David. Okay. So fish. Folks are asking about what is Etwan's future going forward. Is he going to be a guy who gets moved during the off season? Is he somebody that you expect to be there um, through the up to the trade deadline, or do you think the Pelicans let it play out? hold on to him as insurance in case Reddick or uh, Hart just uh, don't get going. What, what do you, what's your prediction for Etuan? Uh Honestly, either anything other than just letting his contract ride out all the way and expiring and not trading him, um, that would be the only thing that would surprise me. Like if they held, held on to him all season long, um, I would expect – Maybe they're looking to move him now because, I mean, he's uh, he's another inherited player. And inherited players, unless they're, you know, anointed like Drew Holiday's been by the new front office, usually they don't have long in the – when they transition to from one front office to another. But I feel like Pelican fans need to remember the lessons that should have been learned over the last seven years, which is you can't say, oh, we got two guys, that's enough. We don't need any more. Because when you have a situation like that, you come out on opening night and Nate Robinson is starting at point guard on a 10-day contract or <laughs> you know, a minimum contract. That's a thing that's actually happened in New Orleans. So no, the problem of we have too many good basketball players on the team, maybe we should try that out for once in New Orleans. Let's just stretch those jeans out and put them on at least from now until the trade deadline, mm-hmm. see how it works out, having enough bodies that actually deserve NBA minutes on the roster in uniform. And then if you roll up close to the trade deadline and hopefully, you know, each one more still healthy and maybe with a much lower workload, he's shooting well because, you know, his legs aren't garbage and his, I think it was a foot issue has had the chance to fully heal and he's shooting well. And some team that's, you know, at the top, top of contention is saying, man, if we could just get off this one bag contract and have a shooter on the roster, we'll send you a late first round pick. And then you're like, here you go. Here's your each one more. We can take a relatively unbalanced trade and take more money in because right now I'm looking at after the Pelicans sign Nico Melli, Nicolo Melli, they're going to be maybe $2 million over the salary cap. So they have plenty of space to work with. They could take a, you know, up to, I can't remember off the top of my head if it's 125 or 150% of 
Etwan Moore's number back at the trade deadline. But how about let's just try out having a lot of good NBA players on the roster for one. But if the Pelicans do decide we do need to move Etwan Moore because he's movable right now, there are going to be teams that are going to be looking for his skill set between now and probably like August 1st, August 15th. There are going to be teams that have cap space that they say we really didn't do anything good with that. I would say move each one more and bring in a legitimate lead guard option because right now you're looking at the roster and you say Lonzo Ball is the only pure lead guard option right now on this team. Everybody else that you might try to play a point guard is you're just trying to stuff this square into a circle opening like a toddler. And you don't realize that the space doesn't fit, but you're like, I can kind of get it through. So, I mean, Drew Holiday doesn't like to be on the ball. Frank Frank Jackson isn't a creator for others in any kind of respect. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a rookie. Those aren't the guys I want running point because we know, at least historically, Lonzo Ball has had trouble staying healthy. So if you are going to move Etwan Moore, send them someplace that wants him and, you know, is going to give him, you know, the minutes and the role that he's hoping to have, and then use the space that's created to maybe you bring back Alfred Payton, if he's willing to be a reserve at this point with how quickly free agency has moved, I think Alfred Payton's probably looking out there and saying, well, I can't be a starter anywhere. Maybe the Pelicans will have me back at a cheap number. If I'm willing to come in and be the reserve behind Lonzo ball. You, I mean, he's, and I, I feel like Gentry would be thrilled about that, but um, that's an option. Or, I mean, you could just scour the the point guard market and see what guys are going to be available. Um, one of the things that happened it, today, um, while we've been recording this, since the um, Golden State Warriors signed, signed and traded for D'Angelo Russell, they're hard capped, which means they can only go so much into the tax. They've also already signed Clay Thompson to his big max contract. Steph Curry's on his super max contract. So maybe you can, if you do trade each one more someplace, you can make an offer for Quinn Cook that the Lakers, I mean, that the Warriors can't match because they, like, they're hard capped. They simply, quite literally, they cannot physically match that contract that you would offer. And Quinn Cook would be a superb hey, we're just going to plug you in there and you're going to be a reserve point guard. And then if Lonzo Ball is injured, you're going to be our spot starter. Right now, like I said earlier, I think the Pelicans have six starters. I'd like to have one more guy in the backcourt that you can say that guy's also a starter. And right now, none of the Lonzo Ball is kind of the most important critical piece to that. And if he goes down and he's done it before, you're kind of – not looking at the best situation. So that's where I would go if you were going to trade each one more, but why not have legitimately 10, 11 guys that you look on your roster and say, Hey, they're NBA players. They deserve minutes in this league. Not, I hope they're here for the right reason and not we swung a miss. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, 
Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. All right, Kevin, you wanted to add on? Yeah, can I just throw out two possible, like, if they were to trade Etwan mm-hmm. for point guards? And one is, David, I don't know if you saw this, but Golden State traded a first-round pick in Igudala to Memphis to clear that space that they needed to make that work and not be hard-capped. So if they're able to bring back Quinn Cook with Clay Thompson hurt, they could you could possibly see a scenario where you could send Etwan Moore to Golden State for Sean Livingston, who is just like the older granddad version of Lonzo Ball. So like when Lonzo is not on the court, if you're using Livingston, it's basically the same player um, out there. Their salaries are almost identical. Uh, I don't think it would mess Golden State up too much. Um, and with D'Angelo Russell, Steph Curry, um, and Quinn Cook in the fold, they wouldn't have much use for Livingston. Um, and more could hold that spot for uh, Clay Thompson for when he comes back. Another one would be possibly Etwan Moore to San Antonio for Patty Mills with Murray coming back. And uh, what's his name? The uh, the, the point guard. I uh, can't draw a blank on his name right now. That played for him in the playoffs that had such a great – Derek White. Um, so it made Patty Mills a little bit more expendable. Now Patty has another year on his contract, but I don't think that would necessarily – deter the Pelicans from uh, making that move. All right. Um, This one should be fun for you, Ollie. Uh, This one comes from Dylan Saigon. Can you hear me, Ollie? Yep. All right. Uh, How are we feeling about a boogie return? (laughs) 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 All my Davis jerseys are our bus now, and all they have left are old Chris Paul Hornets jerseys and a boogie one. Well, just like really anybody else out there, our roster's already kind of full, and we just landed Derek Favors, so we really don't have to consider bringing DeMarcus Cousins back. Look, I understand there's some fans out there who became really attached to certain players, uh, especially over just these past few years, and we saw it this year quite often, all of us, in our mentions regarding Julius Randle, who, you know, we felt a certain particular way about him on what he actually brought to the court versus what a lot of other people just kind of saw. So I feel like DeMarcus Cousins, it just fits in that same kind of narrative to where, you know, there's a higher opinion of him than what he can provide on the court. And especially now for this Pelicans team, right? So I just don't even want to entertain this thought. I really do hope though, that DeMarcus can land somewhere where he can continue coming back from that terrible Achilles injury and get past whatever other small Knicks and, you know, injuries he's had since and getting back to the floor. So I think his best opportunity is honestly landing, you know, where there's, you know, wide open playing time. Maybe he might Knicks. Not get past the Knicks, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> right. no. <laughs> right. So we can torture David Grubb with another splendid signing by the Knicks. But no, I mean, honestly, there's not much to say here. I mean, you look up and down the roster, Fish has already laid it out. You can look in on Twitter. He's already laid out exactly how the positions are filled up. And remember, there's a there's a maximum number of 15 guys teams can enter the season with on their roster. So we're pretty much there unless they get rid of a few people. All right, our friend uh, Tejada. This is for Kevin. Um, the first two we've pretty much covered. So I know he loves to give multi-part questions like it's the SATs. But the first two we've covered, 
about JJ's decision changing perception about New Orleans. Um, the second was about uh, JJ and what he can teach this team. So the third one, Kevin, is a little bit lighter. Uh, covering the team as closely as we have been, how entertaining have these last 24 hours been for you? Oh, I mean, it's been great. You know, normally it's uh, been a lot of false hope, a lot of lying to yourself hope going into off seasons um, and knowing that you're doing it. But, you know, realistically seeing a window where things could work out and really hoping that they would, and, but not really fully believing it. Whereas now you can really believe in what's happening. I mean, if these things don't work out, then the franchise isn't crippled for years. You still have all these draft picks. You have all this money coming off, off the books. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a great feeling to have not only what's happening on the court, but also hearing about the upgrades at the facilities and expanding of um, the analytics department, the scouting department, Aaron Nelson, all of these things added combined. It's just one great, uh, you know, messenger pigeon coming in after another and it's just been incredible and I don't think we've had an off season like this ever I mean when Ali and I were at the all-star game when we traded for uh DeMarcus Cousins and that felt incredible but I feel like you know with Landon Zion and all this other stuff this is clearly uh the highest point that we've had um as you know, since they became the Pelicans for sure. I mean, I wasn't living in the city. I mean, I'm from here, but I was living overseas when uh, Chris Paul got drafted. So I didn't really have a really close touch on what it was like here when that happened. Um, But this is, you know, I think because of how everything fell is greater than how it felt when Anthony Davis became the number one pick because there wasn't all this extra stuff coming along with them, whereas this Right now, we just have so many great things happening along with the acquisition, and you could see a clear path to winning now and a long, sustainable future uh, winning. So, um, yeah, you couldn't ask for more as a as a basketball fan in New Orleans. Oh my Ollie. goodness, Rob! Oh, mm-hmm. Rob, dude, the Knicks just signed Bobby Portis. <laughs> Man, come on! <laughs> come on! <laughs> oh my God! Man, you David, so I'm so sorry, man. You got to get you. The I got to get you and my friend Jarrett together uh, and commiserate. Uh, I'm telling you, know. you on uh, the first week of the show of my new show, the first week I'm going to have people. I'm going to ask folks to call in and tell me when is it time to give up on a team? When is it time to move on? Because I am in that place that, you know, like, I love the Pelicans, you know, but I grew up, you know, we didn't get a team until 17 years ago. So my whole life was dedicated to the Knicks. And now I look at that team and the decisions that they make. And I, like, I'm not Stephen A. Smith angry, but it's just sad. This is, it's just sad and pathetic. <sighs> okay. Back to the Pelicans. <laughs> That's great that you're going to hold like a therapy type of session, but I really want you to go off like Stephen A. Smith. I, I, we all love it when you kind of go off on a little bit of a rant. So that's what I want to hear, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I could, but nobody wants to listen to me rant. I could do it here, but nobody wants to hear me on my radio show rant about this. Because <laughs> I could go off for like two hours and just yell beginning from the 1987 season. And I could just go and yell and yell and yell every year. Okay. 
Um, one of the big things that we've gotten from a lot of folks is, do we think the Pelicans are a playoff team? Now, the West is still absurdly stacked. I mean, Utah did an amazing job today. Um, Denver has done a great job already. Memphis has retooled. Uh, Dallas has retooled. The Rockets will probably do some things before the offseason is over. Um, the Lakers still have their questions to answer, but obviously they lost out on one of their big options. They thought that maybe D'Angelo Russell could be their third guy, and he won't be there. I still highly doubt that Kawhi Leonard is their third guy. Golden State will be something. Uh, you know, the West is very tight uh, still going into next season. Where do you guys today put the Pelicans in that in the hierarchy? Would you say they're in the out of the 15 teams out West? Are you in the, are they in that top five, the middle five, or the bottom five? I'm gonna jump in first. I, mm. I think that the bottom five is I mean, the middle five is more like the middle eight right True. now. Um and I mean, you put Phoenix at the bottom, obviously, because they're incompetent. And I feel bad for Monty because he went to a terrible situation with a terrible owner and a terrible general manager. But he bought into that. I guess his only other option was the Lakers, and that's also a terrible owner and a terrible general manager. So I feel like the Pelicans are just in that morass in the middle where you don't know which teams are going to come out of it. I feel like at the top, in terms of like almost rock solid, and we don't know what OKC is going to do in terms of their tax bill and stuff like that yet. They haven't really made that move. Right. And a lot of the cap space has already evaporated, so it might not be on the table for them to make a move at this point to make that happen. But <clears throat> I, it, assuming that OKC doesn't move a substantial piece, and a substantial piece to me would be Stephen Adams, pretty much. Like, if they trade away um, – I can't his their swing man, the defender who can't shoot whatsoever. Roberson. 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 Um if they trade it with him or if they trade away Schroeder or one of those guys, that's not a mess. I mean it's a big salary, but it's not it doesn't change the makeup of their team. As long as they're gonna have Westbrook and Paul George and Steven Adams. In the regular season, I expect them to be pretty much a playoff lock, barring, you know, a significant injury to any of those three players. Um, even though Houston, you know, is a graveyard of just terrible feelings right now, they still have two great guys that touch the ball every single time down the court. They're going to put up points. They'll be a playoff team. They might not necessarily be, you know, a top five playoff team, but Houston missing the playoffs, I think, would be shocking at this point. So uh, OKC, Houston, and then I'm going to put both Utah and Denver in that situation. Utah has improved from where they were at, and then Denver largely is staying pat and just hoping that their youth will continue to develop. So you take those four teams, that to me is the top tier of the league. And then right below them, I'll put the Lakers, even though I feel like we're going to underplay how much the Lakers' downside is because the market is barren like they're going to look out there if Kawhi says no and say okay we got this 32 million dollars to spend and there's nobody left to spend it on that's worth it 
there's just minimum guys because no one has waited on the Lakers. Nobody. Bobby Portis just signed for $31 million with the Knicks. Bobby Portis. He's not even good. So thank you. The Lakers, the Lakers are one significant um, LeBron injury away from maybe missing the playoffs, but the star power of their two guys, I'm going to say if they're healthy, they should make the playoffs. And then below that, it's all jumbled up. Maybe we'll, you'll say, you know, Golden State just because of their continuity and things like that because they're going to still have Steph. They're going to have D'Angelo Russell now. They're going to have Draymond Green. They have a great coach in Steve Kerr. They should, they should, they should win enough in the postseason. But then if, you're, if you put them in the playoffs with the bullet, you say there's only two playoff slots left. And there's a lot of teams that feel like they should be playoff teams. I haven't even mentioned the Clippers yet. The Clippers are bringing back pretty much all of their depth right now. They might sign Kawhi in the next week. Um, then you have the Pelicans. Dallas feels like they're going to be better this year. They're going to have Porzingis healthy, and they just signed him to a huge contract. You, you and they got, got Goran Dragic today. No, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't make that deal. No, that that trade fell apart. Oh, like while, okay. Since we have been recording, Dallas has backed out of that sign and trade completely. Oh, so, okay. But Dallas expects to be good. Um, I didn't even mention Portland. Portland yeah, Portland is going you know, to be very good. Portland should be very good, and they're bringing in Bazemore to take. Um, so I just feel like, man, if you, if you put like 10, 12 Western Conference teams in a, in, in a pot and you say, all right, we'll say – Houston, Portland, Utah, Denver, Golden State, all teams that should definitely make the playoffs with how much they have back coming back from their previous team, previous years. And then the rest of it's just like pick it out of a hat. Who's going to have the best injury luck? Now, the thing that I love about what the Pelicans have built is the fact that they're so deep. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at the depth chart that I have laid Amen. out. I feel the, the Pelicans legitimately have 11 guys that should log minutes. And the only assumptions there are Frank Jackson is going to be good enough to be your ninth or tenth man. And Nicolo Melli is going to be good enough to be your ninth or tenth man. And then everybody else is, I mean, that's a rotation player. I don't have, I'm not putting um, NAW in that rotation. I'm not even putting Kynrick Williams in that rotation or Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes. Like that's just their top 11 dudes. They should be able to play. So depth, in this situation, gives them a buffer against injury. And, I mean, we've discussed it on numerous occasions. They have Aaron Nelson, and they should have a much better health record this year than they have in previous years if it all works. So should the Pelicans be a playoff team? At minimum, I think that they should challenge for a playoff spot, but it might be around the trade deadline or so, and they might be a couple games out, and David Griffin might look at the situation and say, I'm still playing the long game here. So, Eric Favors, you've been great. You didn't cost me a whole lot to acquire. Another team's looking for a rotation big man. Your contract's about to expire. I don't know if I'm going to be able to re-sign you because I don't know if I want to take that kind of money into the future, into Zion. So you, you might see that he flips Derek Favors at the trade deadline. We already talked about if Etoile Moore stays on, you might flip him at the deadline and just say, you know what, we don't have to make, we don't have to push any chips into the center of the table. 
Zion's rookie year, and it's okay for us to just win 36, 38 games and finish five, six, seven games out of the playoffs and just say, we didn't even, we didn't even really push hard to make the playoffs this year. We sat back on all the assets. We gathered more assets at the trade deadline went rather than being a buyer, we decided that we were going to be a seller. So I, I don't know how they're going to approach that, but I do feel like at least from now through February, the Pelicans should be a competitive team, a team that hovers around 500. If everything goes right and this team won 45, 48 games next year, I would not be surprised at all. Ali, where's what's your stance on where the Pelicans finish next year? Just as of today, when this is not, yeah. we're not holding you to this. Yeah. Just well, I, I, I'm with Fish in the way I look at this lineup and this depth. I've been trying to harp on it on Twitter and here in this podcast because when you look at where Etwan Moore sits on Fish's little graph here, he he's on the third string team and he was relied upon heavily as one of the starters just at the start of last year, right? So. That just tells you the upgrade in talent. And I think the biggest keys will be is uh, we're going to have now steady influences around alongside Drew, and that's, of course, in Favors and Reddick. I think the biggest key will be now Ball and Ingram. If just one of those two guys can take that proverbial step forward and kind of live up to the hype of being a second-round pick, I truly think that the Pelicans are going to be right there fighting for, you know, a playoff spot, six, seven, or eight. When you just look at the rest of the West, I mean – the Warriors, for instance, trading away Iguodala, I find that incredible because there was such, you know, chemistry is a real thing in the NBA, and you see it when it comes down to crunch time. Well, suddenly he's not there providing that two-way ability. So when Steph's out there, and he's going to be out there alone with Draymond for a lot of next year because Clay, you know, is going to be taking his time to come back. Um, he's not going to have Iggy on the court. So there's going to be a lot of that going on around the league where every team's going to be needing to kind of figure each other, not only the teammates, their, their teammates out, but how they play together, everything, you know, all the strategies and such. And of course, the Pelicans will be in the same boat. But again, usually in instances like that, talent trumps. So you've got to be optimistic. And I don't think any of us perceived that we would even be talking about playoffs because you know, I know, David, you and I were talking about it. We were thinking, you know, 33, 35 wins, caught a good season, you know, growing seasons, Zion's rookie season. Let's see what the kid can do, throw him out there, let him develop. Suddenly, you know, you want him to develop, obviously, still. But now I think the playoffs are legitimately, you know, staring at the Pelicans right in the face. Houston has not upgraded their roster. Um, you just look up and down the league in the West, outside of Utah, and now Minnesota's not getting D'Angelo Russell. So now you're just wondering, is it really just, say, Utah, maybe Denver at the top? And now is it kind of almost a free-for-all right there for the, the rest of the spots, even though I still would rank a lot of other teams higher than the Pelicans at this moment. But, you know, just a few things break, right? And Fish is right. you got to thank injuries. It's going to knock somebody out. And if you lose a key big guy and suddenly the Pelicans have talent, that's where in the past it used to hurt us more than it would hurt a lot of other teams. We may now be sitting on the flip side of that equation, you know, that spectrum. So I like our chances, honestly, Grub. If I had to call it today, I think 50 50, I'm going to say we grab one of the playoff seeds. Kevin, are you cautious? Are you optimistic or cautiously optimistic? Well, before I answer, I'm going to break your heart again because Zach Randolph just signed a three year deal with the Knicks. Stop it. That is a joke. I'm sorry. Yes. I just had to do that okay. Too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I, I am very optimistic. Uh, like I said, 
I feel like Griff is trying to build a team, like a put asses in the seat team that could possibly make the playoffs. And he's certainly done that. Um, and I think uh, that while possibly playoffs weren't necessarily the goal that the ceiling is there for there for it to be a playoff team if everything clicks right and everything breaks right and it also kind of all depends on where Kawhi goes because if Kawhi leaves uh I mean stays in in the east then you know the Lakers are definitely crippled uh the Clippers are still going to be good but uh, I think they were really banking on on uh, landing a superstar and they didn't um, and then you're going to uh, possibly see, you know, a team like Oklahoma City try to trade off Steven Adams, which maybe he goes to the Lakers, which I don't know if they would make that kind of trade with the Lakers, but uh, that would sort of satisfy landing a big name over there, or maybe they send him east or something to clear that tax bill. And then, you know, injuries we got to think about. We talked about Portland, and I'm high on Portland, but you also have to remember that Nurkic is going to miss a lot of the year. Uh, they haven't brought Cantor back yet. I don't know that they have the money to bring Cantor back yet, so they'll be relying on Collins and Myers Leonard to be uh, their centers, uh, potentially. So that could go wrong. Um, they lost Aminu, which is a, a very good perimeter defender for them that they relied upon, especially if they're going to have guys like Myers Leonard and Zach Collins protecting the paint, um, or even Eans Cantor protecting the paint. Um, so, you know, they have problems too, and then all these teams that made these top heavy moves, like you said, injuries will cause them, you know, you have teams like the Clippers that are deeper, um, but they even lost guys. And, you know, who are they, are they going to bring back Gabe Michael Green? Are they going to bring back, uh, well, they already lost Garrett Temple. Um, So, you know, they lost guys that contributed as well. So, you know, I think the Pelicans could be anywhere from the sixth seed to the 12th seed, but I think they're going to be competitive and a fun watch every night. And I think that was the goal for this season. Um, so I think they actually ex- exceeded what I thought they were going to do this off season. So I have them leaning more towards being that playoff team, but I don't need it to be that playoff team. I is, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you on that. It's, it's the goal is still not necessarily to make the playoffs. I don't think that that's changed for David Griffin. It's, the primarily this year, and you can see the way the contracts are laid out with these new acquisitions is that, you know, again, it's prepare for when your young guys are ready for their next step. And so I think, you know, a lot of people talked about them being set up for that 2021 free agent class, which does have a lot of big names in it. But I mean, even, even more so, I, I think it's still about looking around the league and seeing if you can take from other people rather than overspending. And I think Griffin has done a great job in that. So I do think the Pelicans are in position this year, yes, to contend for a playoff spot. I still think it's going to be kind of hard because you will have guys figuring out their roles, um, guys being put in positions that they've never been put in before uh, for a lot of these younger guys, taking on more responsibility than they've had to with more accountability for them than they've had to. It's no longer in L.A. where you were rebuilding and everybody was going to be patient. I think it's a little bit different for Lonzo and Ingram now. They're expected to show up and show out. So yeah, I think that they will compete for one of those bottom playoff spots, but I'm not sure if they will get it. There are still so many moving plates um, in all of this. And we're just in the first day of July. So there will be a lot to happen between now. And of course the season beginning, and then even before the playoff stretch. Um, 
before we uh, close up shop for the night, uh, I guess the one thing would would be is thinking about it now and the scope of what's happened today um, around the league. Uh, are the Pelicans pressed to really make any more moves in the short term that aren't related to that one issue that we all agree on that a backup ball handler? Is there really anything that 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 you think David Griffin is going to be doing in the next couple of days um, to make a move with this roster? Do you think it's more now? Let's get to summer league and start evaluating these young guys. I feel Anybody like would jump? yeah, yeah, Grub. I feel like that that Griffin could just roll it out at this point. I mean, I do believe that they do need a a second lead ball handler, but. Just roll it out. Um, go into summer league. Frank Jackson might be playing a couple games. Um, it'll only—I mean, he's starting his third year, but it'll only be a second time in the summer league. The game should really slow down for him at this point compared to the competition he's going to face. Um, put the ball in his hands and ask him, "Hey, can you be a point guard? You want to be a point guard?" Um, and. Um, First of all, I love I mean, the intonation you just used right there because that's how I talk to my daughter sometimes. That's kind of how I talk to my dog sometimes. So, yeah, just um, – I mean, you got Frank Jackson, NAW, um, Kynrick Williams maybe you could play in summer league, uh, Christian Wood and Jaleel Okafor. I could understand if they felt like a little insulted if you asked them to play in the summer league. But then you're also going to have Zion Williamson and then um, Zatlan or the guy from Arizona State. I can't remember his old name. Who's going to be on the wing. Just bring all those guys in and see what you can do. Um, but outside of that, I don't feel like there's not a lot of cap space left. Right now I'm looking at the Pelicans probably have somewhere between $1.8 and $2 million in cap space. That's a glorified minimum contract at this point, but they can stretch it out over a longer duration. But obviously, as we've seen, what Griffin's done so far, he really doesn't want anything beyond two years. So just just roll it out. Maybe if the right guard comes available, point guard, lead guard option comes available, then you decide to move off each one more, and that would be the move. Otherwise, uh, shockingly enough, and I expected that the Pelicans would take a while. I didn't expect that this free agency was going to wrap up as quickly as it, it did. The Pelicans might be done. This might be it outside of, you know, those really outside the edge um, who's on a two-way contract kind of deals where that guy still might not necessarily be, you know, marginally attached to the team for the rest of the time, for the rest of the season. That that might be it. These might be the 15 that um, – that Griffin's going to roll into at least training camp, and there'll be more bodies than that. But these are the 15 guys under contract right now, and and see what you got. Kevin, you see any other moves being, you know, major moves being made this summer by this team, or do you think we're standing pat the rest of the way? No, I think that's it. I mean, I, I think the only thing you could see is what we just talked about, uh, either an Etwan Moore trade, and I think either it's going to be a, a signing or an Etwan Moore trade for another back. Uh, another point guard. Um, that's the only move I could see them doing. I'm going to give you a curveball. If the Lakers strike out on Kawhi Leonard, and it's them, AD, it's AD, Kuzma, and LeBron, 
with their filler because we've seen already a lot of the big names and even a lot of the the second tier role players have snatched up that available cap space as soon as possible. How much more excited are you for the future of the Pelicans, considering that it looks it would be it's going to be so much more difficult for the Lakers to make those draft picks bad ones for the Pelicans? <laughs> Obviously, it's a good thing, right? It's I feel like today we saw a lot of parity kind of come back, you know, creep back into the NBA. I mean, outside of just a couple of teams really raising their prospects, I think that it, it looks really good for where, first of all, the New Orleans stands, but also how much harder it's going to make it for the Lakers to be able, you know, as soon as we heard AD was going Lakers, a lot of people were almost even making them the favorites out West. I think a lot of people just after today are taking a step back from that stance. So they still have to fill out a heck of a lot of those roster spots and as we saw, you know, I saw just Jeff Siegel tweet out that we've crossed over the $3 billion threshold, new money given out to players a day. So the, the Lakers have lost out on quite a bit of talent that they could have added. So, yeah, I mean, this this is outstanding. They, they thought maybe they're going to be able to get Kawhi Leonard, maybe D'Angelo Russell, and it's sure looking like that Leonard's really their last gasp at this point, uh, unless that Butler trade does indeed fall through as to where the Miami can't get him. Maybe then he could go out that way. But overall, you don't like their chances of filling out the roster competently, especially with the Lakers out, or excuse me, the Knicks out there. They're grabbing all sorts of, you know, ill-fitting kind of talent if you're, if you're trying to build a good team, I think. But they're still grabbing talent nonetheless off the board, and there's other teams doing the same. So it's it doesn't look good if you're a Los Angeles fan. You should be worried. Guys, this is it's it's it feels like it's been more than one day, but it hasn't even been 12 hours of free agency. It's incredible. And I, I, I'm exhausted already. I'm exhausted and exhilarated, but I'm exhausted nonetheless. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We're less than, what, four days away from the start of summer league. So and you guys are headed down there. So why don't you guys talk about that? The trip going down to summer league and how excited you are. And then, but before we hit that, we got that late news on Friday, and we haven't had a chance to discuss that. Alfred Payton, and we haven't brought up his name at all. Alfred, uh, well, we did a little bit, but Alfred Payton was did his little radio tour to promote his kickball game, which was yesterday in New Orleans. And one of the things he said was that Anthony Davis basically intimated to the team prior to uh, the season beginning that he was probably going to ask for a trade. That is something that is not a surprise to us, I don't think, as a group. I think we, we had speculated on that in the beginning. But the, re- the revelation of that publicly, um, w- w- did that give anybody, did that strike anybody in a certain way, if you want to just jump in on that one? Man, uh, we, are, we are past Anthony Davis right now. We are <laughs> exactly. in a new era. Screw him, all right? Enjoy okay. Los Angeles. Enjoy carrying LeBron's purse everywhere, standing in the corner while he, he tries to ISO the whole game. And then you on defense, you can cover for everything that he's going to do because LeBron's taking, you know, half the game off. No, that, oh. that's it. We're done There's, talking about Anthony Davis. How many Sorry. How many contusions that's- do you think he's going to get from being thrown under a bus? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so so this becomes until until he visits New Orleans his first game back we are you know we we, we are in a Anthony Davis moratorium Is well that what we're saying sort of I'll just go ahead and plug this 
because tomorrow I think if Ollie gets some sleep that Chris Connor and I wrote uh, a buddy cop a movie script starring uh, Zion Williamson and Alvin Kamara as the heroes of the city, uh, the buddy cop tandem, and uh, let's just say Anthony Davis plays a big role in that. So that's probably the last time I'll write about Anthony Davis, but uh, it's coming out tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, and you guys are going to love it. It's incredible read. Chris and Kevin, their wit, their humor, and their ability to write a story, it's unparalleled. So you guys look forward to that. Even though it's 10,000 plus words, made a heck of an editing job for me, but it, it's, it's going to be a smash hit. It's a movie. And you're right. Man. That's a good way to wrap up <laughs> Anthony Davis there. I'm with Fish. You know, let, let's just move on. What was done was done, and there's no reason to rehash it anymore. Because let's face it, I think we would never even come close to being in this position we are now had it not been for the way, you know, his actions, his teams, uh, the, the uh, agents, his representation had played it out the way, it, you know, had played out. So let's just move on. I'm ready to close that chapter too. And, okay, so to wrap up, you guys are headed to Summer League, uh, both Kevin and Ollie, right? So you yes. guys are, what day are you guys leaving? Saturday. Saturday early Saturday, Saturday morning. All right, so what do you, you've been there before, you've done this before. What do you look for when you go to Summer League, and, and, and what's the experience like for those of us who will not be in Vegas? I'd compare it to a music, music festival. It's very much has that feel. You know, I've been, that music is kind of my background, being involved in that scene, and this very much felt like that last year when I went there. You know, you have two courts with games going on overlapping me overlapping each other so you could bounce back and forth between it there's all these super fans all these other writers you uh you know you see uh executives you see players uh walking around um so there's that whole environment there it's it's really fun it's pretty laid back um it's it's a nice informal uh basketball situation that you can also meet up with a lot of guys that you interact with from other sites from around the league we hung out with a bunch of guys from uh, Portland, a bunch of guys from uh, LA and stuff last year, guys, we, that precedent had on the pod. So it was nice to get to, you know, actually meet people that you've been communicating with for a while now on online. Um, and then, you know, you're in Vegas, so there's a lot of other stuff to do. Um, there's, you know, you go swimming, there's food, there's, uh, I'm not a gambler other than uh, my, the actual lifestyle that I live. Uh, <laughs> out of that, I don't really gamble. Uh, so, um, that's not for me, but a lot of people are into that. So it's just a real fun time. It's a nice, nice vacation. And this year, you know, last year we were so excited about getting to see Frank Jackson and then we didn't even get to see him because he got hurt in the game before we arrived. Um, so this year is, you know, obviously a lot more exciting, uh, though we don't know how much we'll see of Zion and then hopefully, uh, you know, once it becomes the sixth, those other guys will get to play uh, for our team. We'll get to hopefully see Jackson Hayes and uh, Alexander Walker as well. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. And it's just fun hanging out with Ollie and Preston. And I think Chris is joining us this year. I think uh, Joe, Joseph Billiot's joining us. I think, um, well, I know for sure Ryan Abair and Shamit are coming from BSS, so we'll see those guys as well. Um, so it, um, it'll be a fun time, I think. Yeah, Ollie, that last year the Frank Jackson level of excitement was very high. 
Uh, do you think you think the Zion excitement will will match Frank's hysteria? Are you kidding me? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I mean, if any indication, right? Friday's games in the summer league are already sold out. You can't even buy a ticket anymore. You know, from the, just Ticketmaster. So that alone speaks to how just crazy I think we should expect. Uh, you know, the crowds to follow the Pelicans and in particular Zion. And I can't wait, like Kevin said, I can't wait to get there Saturday. Even though we're going to miss Zion's first game, we can watch it on TV, but, you know, we're, we're going to be there for the first game, knock on wood, hopefully for uh, both uh, Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker playing. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a visceral thing, that first moment when Zion Williamson walks on the court wearing a jersey that says New Orleans on it, even if it is a summer league practice jersey, but... It's still, it's going to be one of those moments. Um, it's, it's, it, it really is the start of a different and new era for the New Orleans Pelicans. It's almost like, the, I mean, really, quite honestly, it's almost like everything that led up to this was all precursor. It was supposed to go this way. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a fate and destiny person, but it just feels like in, the, in, in historical perspective that way. There's a, there are usually lines of demarcation in history, and it just feels like we are at one for the New Orleans Pelicans. I would also just throw out this pro tip. Do not get the Rebel Dog. If you're going there, if you're going to Summer League, do not order the Rebel Dog. It's on UNLV's campus. It's in the arena. You think that something called the Rebel Dog is going to be this gourmet hot dog since it's named after the mascot. It is the most tragic thing you'll ever see in your life. So there's that. Yeah, yeah there are far better hot dogs in Vegas. <laughs> far better hot dogs. On the strip, man. Pink's. Pink's is awesome. They have a burrito hot dog that they put multiple hot dogs and chili and cheese and onions inside of a tortilla. And it's freaking awesome. If you if you if you're down there, you should try it. All right, folks. We we've kind of gone deep into the night on this one, but it, it's a very exciting day. And um we appreciate you listening. Um, of course, there will be plenty more coming ahead. I'm sure the guys will be reporting from Vegas, talking about what's going on out there. And there will be plenty more to talk about, of course, throughout the, throughout the summer, both on thebirdrights.com and here on the Bird Calls. So we're going to say thank you and good night for Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, Ali Cassell, and myself, David Grubb. Until the next time. Let's go, pals. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi! So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Summer fun is right on track. Because Thomas and all his friends are rolling into Roaring Camp Railroads. Full steam ahead. 
and he's gonna have all kinds of activities to choose, choose, choose from. So check on down to Roaring County, July 26th through August 4th. You won't want to miss Thomas. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.